Hello, and welcome to the Autism News Network podcast. I'm Dr. Frampton Gwinnett at the Medical University of South Carolina. You are with us for episode four, and I'm joined today by a young man named Clay, Clay Syme, who is uh, here in the studio live and has offered his time up to join us with the Autism News Podcast. Hello. Hey, Clay. Welcome. Yeah. Thank how are you. you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Have you slept off all the turkey from the past weekend? Not quite, but we'll get there. Yeah, you'll get there. So I, you told me that you actually spent the holiday weekend outside of Charleston in a small area called? Edisto Beach. Yeah. We went out to the beach house at Edisto. It's yeah. very nice. It really is. So for those of you who are not local to Charleston, Edisto is also called Edislo. Have you ever heard that? No, yeah. actually I haven't. Edis slow because everything slows down there and it's mm. very, very quiet and peaceful. It is very secluded. We uh, took a couple of nice uh, uh, family photos out on the beach at sunset. I'm pretty sure that's our Christmas card for this year. Oh, that's great. That's great. And the weather was good? It was good. It rained the very last day as we were coming back, but we okay. were able to, to actually load up before, right before the rain hit. So yeah. That's, it was perfect. That's awesome. Now, there's, I think there's one grocery store in Edisto, right? Is this still one? There? Just the one Bilo, yeah. It's a Bilo now? It's a Bilo now. Yeah, it used to be a Piggly Wiggly. Well, they, they went out of business, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm glad that you're back from your trip and had a good Thanksgiving. Um, Thanks. Yeah, we've been kind of building up to this for a while, but um, wanted to just talk to you for the benefit of our audience. So, can you tell us a little bit about, like, if you don't mind, like how your diagnosis and how long you've been aware of that uh aware that something was wrong probably since uh around third grade i had a, a bad grade or something like that and a, and a meltdown associated with that and actual diagnosis middle school okay age and uh high functioning autism mm-hmm. uh some uh, dysgraphia some uh, central auditory processing disorder, so okay. picking voices out of, a, of out of a crowd, stuff like that. Um, aside from that, that's about that's about it. Some anxiety and depression associated with that. But okay, there you go. Yeah, and so the dysgraphia for those who don't know, that's like a little bit of difficulty with fine motor skills, like with writing. Yeah, my handwriting's mm-hmm. atrocious, always has been, and always will be. That's basically <laughs> what that means. Yeah. Yeah, and that's we see that a lot. Did you ever have like occupational therapy or physical therapy? I did. I forget who it was with, but I do remember I did not have the best time with them. I don't think I yeah. had a good rapport with the person I worked with. So yeah, it's, it, we did a little bit, but not too much. It's difficult these days because I work with a lot of youngsters who have poor handwriting because it's mm-hmm. very common for people on the spectrum. And sometimes the schools have the approach of, yeah, we're going to use occupational therapy and get the handwriting better. Other schools say forget penmanship let's get this youngster typing because it's all going to be typed anyway right how do you feel about that um i feel like there is a lot of typing but it uh i don't know it's writing's a useful skill to have yeah um i would not worry about fine penmanship you don't need to be a calligrapher right you just have to make it legible if it's legible then then anything else is just nitpicking yeah exactly it doesn't matter if it's, you know, chicken scratch. If you can read it, it's fine. Yeah. But being able to write, to just leave a note, like if you don't have it, because there are times power outages or you leave your phone at home where you mm-hmm. do have to write some something down. And yeah. if you can't read it, then then that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so maybe there are some benefits to doing, you know, therapy, trying to get the handwriting as good as possible, but it's not the be-all and end-all, like you said. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I have known you for a while, and you had an interesting path in school because... In high school, 
you were involved, was it called a buddy program? Um, uh, it's a while ago. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, because you're 25 now, right? Yes. Yeah, I was just thinking back. Um, yeah, because I, th- I work with a lot of kids in high school and middle school, of course, and, and they struggle sometimes to get along with peers. But there are potential ways that neurotypical peers can get involved to support you know, students with autism who are at high school. Mm. Um, were you ever, you know, felt like that was helpful for you or you kind of on your own? Um, I found uh, from peers more just, uh, especially middle school, high school. Once you get into college, uh, peer programs and, uh, you know, just letting people know what's going on with you. The people are generally more understanding and can mm. just work with you. But middle school and high school, people are still maturing right and i find many times aside there there's always the the odd gym that you meet the person who does get it because they have family or because they're an empathetic person right but for the most part uh i relied on teachers or maybe like slightly older mentors yeah during middle school high school um i do find that an age difference does typically help with that mentor relationship uh, just because it establishes a little bit of baseline of respect and rapport. Um, I have had some experience with mentoring myself, I think. We went to uh, Hill Academy, I believe, okay, which was right down the road from where I went to high school for a while at uh, School of the Arts. Gotcha. Uh, and we did, uh, I think we played some games. We did a little, uh, exp- they did the uh, Mentos and Coke experiment. We did Diet Coke, though, so nothing got sticky. Okay. <laughs> we did. We did a couple things like that. And so I, these I, were youngsters with, with autism themselves? Or? I don't know what their diagnosis was, but uh-huh. I think uh, I think it was a little more low-functioning because I think that, that academy was set aside just for folks who had a harder time. Okay. Gotcha. So you're kind of lending a hand, mm-hmm. serving the community. And- I, I, it's always a difficult thing to balance when you have folks with disabilities coming together because you have um, a lot of times uh, you have quite a few insecurities and that's just the name of the game because you do have these issues that you're dealing with personally and that can lead to having some insecurities so you have this uh, this weird conundrum where you have to get just the right balance mm-hmm. between um, functioning level and ability because if you have a big difference in between the person who's lower functioning uh, can feel maybe uh, like, how am I ever going to get to that level? Right. And then the person who's higher functioning is, is uh, how do I relate to this person? Exactly. You know? So it's, it's a bit of a, uh, you have, it's an extra, just like many things with, uh, with the spectrum, it's an extra layer of nuance to it mm-hmm. to where you have to balance this extra variable. Yeah. Of and because usually you know what do you have? You have age difference. You have like uh, personality, like personal chemistry, yep. and then you have um, levels of, of functionality. And that's that's that extra layer that you get when you have folks on the spectrum. So to where that can impact the personal relationships that you make. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're right. So you, these insecurities pop up. And do you ever find um, that your challenges? to most people are invisible? Um, to call that a non-apparent disability. Yeah. So apparent disability is uh, somebody who's blind, somebody who has uh, in a wheelchair for right. whatever reason. Um, you look at this person, you, you can tell that this person does not have this type of functionality. Yeah. Uh, non-apparent disability 
something like autism, something like uh, anxiety disorders, depression. Uh, maybe you can tell, especially if you're looking for it or you know what to look for. But it's not necessarily something that you see unless you're told about it. Exactly. Um, yeah, I've definitely had that problem. Uh, my philosophy, because uh, I've gotten very used to advocating for myself over the years, mm-hmm. and I've gotten very comfortable talking about my issues. Yeah. That's why I'm here. Exactly. Partly is because a lot of other folks would be you know, very uncomfortable just kind of sitting here uh, twiddling their thumbs, leg bumping up and down, not yeah. really able to, to articulate themselves because they're nervous, they're anxious. But I found that um, my mom, who is, uh, has always pushed me to be the best version of myself, uh, really pushed me to advocate for myself. And I found that uh, over time it, it did eventually get easier to just, just talk about stuff. And it, it's uh, actually very cathartic to... To bring that out, I've lost where I was. I've lost my no, but point, I, exactly. But, uh, I mean, a lot. I work with a lot of families, and a lot of kids who have those non-apparent disabilities. I, and I love that word. I actually had never heard that until you said it. Mm. So um, that's new for me. But I, it, I think it really does describe the challenges because, in some ways, it's almost like a hidden challenge mm-hmm. because you spend a lot of time trying to convince teachers or peers mm-hmm. or other uh, mentors that support is needed when. To the untrained eye, it doesn't appear to be needed. You know? I find usually that I just disclose uh-huh. with anybody that I am spending a decent length of time with. Hi, gotcha. I have you know this this disability. Uh, if because a lot of times um, your functionality can be really dependent on your emotional state with, right. with autism. And so how well you do your activities and how well you can you can go to work or uh, just get the, the basic um, house chores that you need done uh, can really depend on where you're at emotionally. And so sure. I find that uh, when I was in school, any of the classmates that I would be working with in groups, uh, so like lab partners, group projects, yeah. uh, nowadays coworkers, uh, bosses and supervisors, um, and even people that you know you you meet you have a good time and after you get over that initial like meeting them and becoming friends yeah um, I mean usually it comes up at some point during that process but excuse me yeah uh, you need to let those people know because if you come in one day and you're really depressed or really anxious or angry or you know you have whatever emotional imbalance that your coping skills or whatever else that you're doing in your life hasn't been able to to balance out or make non-apparent, then it becomes very apparent. Exactly. And um, if people don't know what's going on with that, you're going to get a lot of, you know, what's what's this? What's going on with you? Right. And they can't support you if they don't know. They can't. And I have found that there are two types, really two or three types of people in this this world when it comes to to support. Mm -hmm. You have those that will give you more than you need everything that you could ask for and more yeah um which can be detrimental because sometimes you need to to stand up on your own two feet and if you're handed right. everything you gotta with those people you gotta know when to say no yeah and when to try to just help yourself which is is a skill into itself then you have um those that are just kind of apathetic they don't really know how to handle the information you've given them yeah Maybe they don't know what it means. 
And so they're kind of just standoffish. Kind of they'd flummoxed. like they'd yeah. like to help, but they have no idea how to help. They're it's, kind of this. They're just they're scared by it. Right. That's and then you have people it. who don't care. Mm-hmm. Not just well, that's what apathetic means. But you have people who are maliciously apathetic to where right. they just it doesn't matter. They don't. Not only do they not understand, they don't care to understand. They, they, they that's your problem. You have to deal with it. Right. Um. I have been very fortunate. I've only had, I think, one supervisor that I've that I had that was more of that, just whatever. And luckily, they were they were a. Uh, it was while I was working at uh, Bilo. Yeah. And I had one supervisor who I had a sensory issue where my the freezer we were moving stuff around the freezer it was really hurting my hands. Yeah. And she didn't care. Yeah. She was going to write me up because I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and then I had I came in the next day and I was real worried about it and the, uh, the f- general floor manager for that the, for the whole front end of the store which is where I, where I worked as a cashier mm-hmm. um, that person I had established a rapport with Miss Dorothy bless her heart yeah sweet uh, sweet old lady she was very sweet yeah and she uh, she had had a talk with her and said hey listen this is what's up can't just do that. Yeah, and so it was all it was all sorted out by the next day. By the time I got back into work, so I find that if you establish a rapport with those people who are that first type, the type yeah. that will give you what you need, and rarely, very rarely, you get that person who does, you know, who knows when to to stand up to you and tell you, okay, come on, let's push through this, and yeah. knows when to to give you some slack as well. But yeah, no, that's actually she was closer to that because she would she would you know say, okay, you know. You, you can you can do this. Come on, I really need you to to suck it up and do this do this for me. And I'm you know that that she was a she was a great person. I burned out at that job because it's just the the hours were yeah. random and the business level was very very it fluctuated. You'd be slammed for like right. a, a few minutes and then dead for a and couple dead. for a couple minutes, <laughs> dead for an hour or two, yeah. and then slammed for thirty minutes. I mean, one of the things that always amazed me was that you were a cashier, which is obviously like people intensive. Like, mm-hmm. how does a young man with high functioning autism deal with people all day? Um, I've just gotten very good at at, at the the mask mm-hmm. of uh, just just being polite and courteous, which mm-hmm. is this is what a cashier is. It's just yeah. Um, it's just a, mainly a script, really. Right. And I, yeah, I can learn a script, and I can I can t- spew a script back to somebody. And you had that occasional person who was uh, I see how you say you got the ten people in customer service. Yeah. You got one person on one side who is an absolute angel, uh, maybe gave you a tip or something, or you know was just super sweet and nice to you and understanding, yeah. asked about your day and was genuinely asking about it, not just yeah throwing some platitude or something out there towards you. Um, then you have the person on the other side who is the person who wanted their coupon, even though it's you know, yeah. two years expired, and was an <laughs> absolute bear, rude to you, rude to your manager, was asked to leave the store. Disgruntled. Oh, boy. And, you know, yeah. those are the two people on either side. And then the other eight people in between yeah. are on that spectrum in between the two sure. of them. Gotcha. So you see elements of those. Two you types. see the whole spectrum of society. Yeah. Yes. So you put the mask on, and um, I guess the mask is, if it's in place, it prevents people from really understanding your internal struggle and well, frustration. At a job, people don't want to understand your internal struggle. Yeah. Now, when you're when you're making like relationships with friends, that mask comes down a bit. Yeah. But if you're especially in customer service or. In situations where it's not people that you have a rapport with, just with the general public, that mask can be very helpful just to to make it through the day, 
to avoid awkward questions from people yeah. and to avoid making people feel unduly uncomfortable. Exactly. I mean, obviously, you got to do what's right for you, but there are ways to make it easier for yourself in society, and there are ways to make it harder. So, yeah. can you talk some about your decision to, um, you know, leave that that cashier job? And we don't want to like disparage any no. particular company, but it was, in, in you know, internally, you were really thinking about that for a while and you made a decision like I said um, like I was saying earlier is I was burned out at that job probably a year into it yeah because uh, it's just um, and it had nothing to do with the company yeah yeah it's just the, the industry as a whole is yeah. very um, unstructured yeah. and I prefer structure gotcha um, you never knew what the day was going to be like yeah or if you did you knew it was just going to be slammed the whole day like you mm-hmm. know on, on holidays or if there was a hurricane coming everybody's coming to get water bottles yes but yeah, no, it was just the uncertainty of it. It was very, very up and down in terms yeah. of how busy it was and what we were doing each day. Um, but my, like I, so I, like I said, I was a year in, burned out, and that my wonderful boss was the person probably because when I would have anxiety, and that's the main thing that that was was getting me. It, was, it got to the point where I would walk into the front doors of the mm-hmm. store and I just. I was ready. I, I was, you know, halfway into a panic attack. I wouldn't take much more to just push me over the edge. Yeah. Um, what was causing that? You think? Like I said, I think it's the uncertainty. The uncertainty. Of it. I think it's just I never knew what was going on or how bad it was going to be, how yeah. how dead it was going to be. And um, your your hours would shift a lot too, they, right? They would. So uh, closing, opening, split shifts, all everything. Yeah. So it was not a nine to five gig. It was very much like. All over the place. And it was that, all over the place, and you didn't know what the schedule was till the week of. Oh, and that's so there was not no good. there was no advance notice. It was just you you got your schedule, and then you would see what you were doing. Yeah, so really, that's can be very anxiety provoking, mm-hmm. and it, it messed with sleep as well, didn't it? It did. Um, I don't have a lot of. Uh, I, I don't do that very well anyway. I, I have horrible sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. I sleep whenever and. Uh, I don't know. I have my job now. I, I work usually lunch shifts, so I don't go to work till 12. Right. I'm usually very much a night owl, so I can end up going to sleep at 2 in the morning and getting in eight hours. Sure. And then going to work. Yeah, and then going to work, and I'm it, all right. And what kind of work do you do? I work now as a server assistant at slightly north of Broad. Okay. So that means... Um, it's a great place. It is. It's a very yeah. nice restaurant. It's very, very fancy, very yeah. nice. It's good food, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what do you do? Like, what's the, the server assistant? Server assistant, so bread and water. Mm-hmm. Um, there's usually three essays on. There's bread and water. Those two are up front. And then usually I do polish, which is in the back. Things go through the dish pit, okay. silverware and glassware, stuff like that. Yeah. And I polish it to make sure there's no water spots on it before okay. it goes back out. So gotcha. there's make sure just a final quality check for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so to get to your job, you drive, right? I do drive. Yeah. Um, how old were you when you got your license? Mm. Uh, 19, maybe? 19. Yeah, I okay. think so. And was it like an anxiety-provoking thing? To, oh, yes, for yeah. sure. That's why I, That's why it took me an extra three or four years, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did not – I still don't like driving. Um, was part of it spatial awareness. Part of it was anxiety. Um, I took the uh, 911 course. You got two of them here, yeah. I think, in uh, Charleston. There's two separate programs, but they're both good programs. Um, they ha- they usually have, uh, the one I went to anyway, had one instructor who did 
typically work with people with disabilities. Yeah. So they had one person who would go out and um, a little more intensive, a little more hands-on versus the the standard gotcha. uh, so instruction. Is it the unpredictability of the uh, of the roads, or is it all the it's the res- it's input? the responsibility of mm-hmm. um, having you know a piece of metal moving at you know 30 to 60 miles per hour that's you know a couple tons yeah and you're you're in control of that and yeah. if you mess up then you're damaging your property you're damaging other people's property you're taking other people's lives and that's a huge responsibility and it's very nerve-wracking yeah absolutely um but yeah no i took the course which helped me get over some of that anxiety Help me get used to driving, and it also lowers your insurance. Oh, when you take the class? When you take the class, yeah. it lowers your insurance. So within a couple of years, because you're going to be in that, usually people are in that uh, 20 to 25 age bracket, right. where, you're, where especially if you're a guy, insurance is horrible. Right. Car insurance is very expensive. And so taking, you know, a, a couple hundred dollars off even. That's right. And it's it's going to pay for the the course. I think was I don't know. I think four hundred or something like that. Yeah. But it pays for itself it's for a good couple of years. And being able to drive is a huge factor for independence. You know, it like, is. Uber and Lyft are great. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, not being able to drive, especially we live in Charleston, the public mm-hmm. transit system is not well developed. Um, they but, do their best. Yeah, yeah. But it's very limiting. So. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really great. And there's actually some work being done in Vanderbilt to teach people um, how to drive using virtual reality. So they bring in adolescents hmm. with autism or young adults with autism and run them through a computer screen. It's pretty cool where they'll do different scenarios, different weather patterns, different pedestrian crossings, hmm. and kind of train them to anticipate the unexpected and also to pay attention to the right things at the right time like the traffic light mm-hmm. when you're at an intersection or pay attention to the speed limit when you're not at an intersection mm-hmm. things well, like that well you got to uh, you got to learn how to to put your uh, your focus um, where your car is going to be in terms of your reaction times yeah. so you know you've got a 2 3 six second reaction time um, so what you need to do and this is what my uh, the instructor taught me when I was was in that is to pick out a landmark see how fast it gets to you Mm-hmm. So, if you see something and then you count down, and in two, three seconds it's past you, where that thing was when you first saw it, that's your reaction time. Right. That's so where you time, need yeah. to probably put the next car in front of you. Yeah. Um, that's where you need to keep your focus because if something happens there, you, you need you've got those few seconds to hit the brakes or, you know, take the the wheel and do some evasive action, whatever you're going to do to to prevent an accident. Exactly. So you got to learn where to keep your focus because if you're looking right in front of you and you're going 60 miles an hour, then you're you're about five car lengths away from where your focus That's needs right. to be. That's right. And if something happens in that five, six car lengths, you're not going to see it until it's, you know, 10, 20 feet in front of you and then you're going to hit it because yeah. you don't have time to react in. Yeah, and doing all those calculations can be really stressful. It and, can. Yeah. But it becomes second nature. It's just like anything else. Um, it's just bigger and badder. Yeah. Because uh, the speeds and stuff like that are just much more daunting because they're much higher than anything else you've done before. Exactly. But just like riding a bike or or any kind of of experience, you you just learn to and you internalize it after yeah. a while. Yeah. Now your car is somewhat of a legend. Do you have a nickname for your vehicle? I do not. not I don't get sentimental about my no. vehicle. Okay. I, because I I've banged it up. 
<laughs> quite extensively. <laughs> yeah, that could be a good thing because then you don't have to worry about you know body damage and stuff like that. Uh, Just keep moving forward. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so yeah. when I first you know started accruing dents and stuff in my my car, mostly on, I have had one fender bender with with a car that's moving, yeah. and everything else has been stationary objects. Yeah. It's been, I've been tired after a long day of work and I didn't realize that the concrete barrier in the parking structure was that close. Yeah. Or something like that. So where like, I've, I've, I've banged it up and yeah. scraped it up. And uh, yeah, like I said, when I, when I first started out, uh, I'd, get, I'd get a dent or something on there and I'd be like, oh no, this is terrible. Yeah. Gosh, it's horrible. And it still is, but now it's more just like uh, General Grievous is just, ah, a fine addition to my collection. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's classic. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, we're going to uh, move on to the next topic real quick here. All right. Um, you talked some about anxiety. Mm. And, again, that's a huge factor for so many people on the spectrum. And then you mentioned also depression. Can you talk about things that in your life have triggered the more the, the depressive episodes for you? Um, usually um, when I set a bar for myself and I don't meet it. Mm-hmm. Missed goals probably be my main trigger yeah um i went to cfc i went to went to college for three years um i ended up doing reduced course load to about nine credit hours a semester and i'd usually take on an extra class and bring it up to hang on i have to add yeah 12 credit hours right a semester and uh I usually end up dropping that course, or at mm-hmm. least one of them I'd have trouble with and I'd have to drop halfway through, yep. which is after the drop had thing. So I had that on my transcript as well, which was an extra bit of stress. Yep. Um, and eventually I just didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. I felt like I got my gen eds out the way. I'd switched my major a couple times. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to just take classes just to take classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I had to drop out, that was that was something there where a lot of my peers were, were graduating and I was uh, I had been dropped out for a year and I was only had my gen eds out the way. Exactly. Um, so comparing yourself to your peers a lot of times I find can be very depressing where people are achieving these benchmarks for independence and for, for life that you're just, you're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, trying to make friends, a lot of the social settings are very stressful and because you have that anxiety, you can't attend some of those social events and you right. can't get into some of these social circles cause it's too scary. It's too, yeah. too loud, icky, too yep. loud. Yep. Uh, uh, you go there and you, then you just, you stand at, you have the groups of clusters of people right. where people group up and start talking to each other. These little cliques, yep, little there's clicks. little groups of people just, just shoot, shooting the breeze and, uh, you're just kind of floating in between all of them right. and not quite entering any of them so you, because of that anxiety you don't make those friends and then you're lonely and then because of that loneliness you, you end up being depressed because you couldn't make the friends you couldn't make the friends because you're anxious exactly. you go to make more friends because you're lonely and then you end up being anxious you right. can't make any you go home and then you're sad exactly there you go that's right and so that's kind of the, the cycle between the the anxiety and the depression in terms of a social situation yeah you articulated that so well and um, I think we've had just countless number of um, participants in our program who have described something very similar and um, a lot of times in those social situations it's so difficult to feel accepted um, and that's such a key factor I'm going to put my psychiatrist hat on in a second do you ever feel like it's difficult to accept yourself 
um, not be too hard on yourself? I'm always hard on myself. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about that because I don't really, I haven't, I don't think I've ever really accepted myself because I don't like where I'm at. And I have a hard time separating where I'm at from who I am. Yeah. Because what I have is so much a part of why I'm at where I'm at in terms of um, just progressing through life. Yeah. Kind of like that performance-based mentality mm-hmm. that is all about the United States. You know, like, it's just, it's like we see what people do and what, why can't we do that? Um, it's it's hard. It's part of our society. Mm. Um and and you have I you and I have had multiple conversations about what you can offer this world is between your ears, and right. and you're sharing that with us today. It's really amazing, um, and I'm sure our audience that they were here, they many 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 of them would really literally kill to be in your shoes. So it's it's I'm all sure. it's all relative. You know? It is. It's always um, there's always um, somebody who has has it worse off. There's always somebody who's who has it better off. It's uh, where you put your focus. Yeah, and 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 yet. Like sometimes it works to say, hey, there's other people worse off than you. But most of the time it doesn't work because all we can relate to is our own experience. And right. we, if we have expectations for ourselves, it's so difficult to live up to those. And then if we feel like we don't, then we're you know, falling short. And like you said, kind of puts that depressive cycle mm-hmm. in place. So. Well, the thing is that, um, especially with, with high-functioning folks, because you have your best and your worst yeah. Um, and for for most people, for neurotypical people, those are pretty pretty close together. Unless you yeah. add something like There's alcohol not a huge or amplitude, yeah. or something like uh, you know some kind of substance abuse or something like that or emotional problems. Once you add, but yeah, just for your normal neuro, neurotypical person with no outside issues, their best self and their worst self. There's not yeah. There's not that huge amplitude between mm. that. And for somebody on the spectrum, it's so much more pronounced I'd say mm-hmm. you know 10, ten times yeah. as more pronounced as, as what your best self versus your worst self is exactly and so a lot of times you'll have a, a period of time where you have that that best self um, and you have it locked you've got your coping mechanisms down you're taking whatever medications you might be taking yeah. you're um, you exercising ice? you're eating well whatever yeah. you know you've got your life together for however long that period is. Right. So maybe it's a couple of weeks, maybe it's a couple of months, you know, where right. you haven't had any serious breakdowns or, or anything like that or any serious uh, hiccups. Mm-hmm. And so you start to think, oh, I've got this. Yes. And then you have that major hiccup or you have some major di- little mini disaster or whatever else happens. And then you feel like you're back to square one or even further. Or, right. And then it's just like, well, if if I can't even do whatever it was you were trying to do, whether it was taking a class or maybe you're learning to drive, whatever the task is that you're doing at that time, and yeah. you're trying to get out, the, out of the house more, maybe you're just trying to find a friend. And uh, I had a, a group of friends online where, I, you know, we were great friends for about a year and then just had a falling out. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I had that falling out with one uh, it's like a chain reaction. Well, I just I couldn't really hang out with the group anymore. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, the person ended up uh, blocking me. I don't know why. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't I don't have enough knowledge of of that person's situation or my situation. I don't right. know how all the pieces fit together. But the bottom line was that uh, I just ended up uh, back at square one, and so I haven't really made any new friends online since then. Yeah, and I think 
one of the key aspects to when those downtimes come, and they come for everyone, but I think being on the spectrum, can you talk some about like isolating oneself and if that's been a part of your world and you know what that what the pluses and minuses are to, to being alone? All right, so I live in a family of five. Mm-hmm. So when we talk isolation, my isolation is probably different from other folks just right. because I have uh, I got two brothers. One is is move has moved out the house to uh, mm-hmm. to Montana. He's establishing residency in Bozeman to to go to university there. Yeah, which is very exciting for him. It's very cold for yeah. him, but it's yeah. very exciting. Icy cold. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's 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 like. 18 there today I think I yeah. checked when I came and in. here in Charleston we hate cold weather oh. can we all agree on that Absolutely. actually I live in the wrong place for that because <laughs> I I when it's like 50 out that's like that's pretty good for me I like mm-hmm. that but when anything over like 80 is too hot yeah. for me I so yeah I definitely live in the wrong place yeah. but yeah most Charlestonians who choose to live here I would say yeah probably yeah. they're here for the the warm weather exactly and so your house is a busy place typically it is a busy yeah. place and um so I'm never really truly alone mm-hmm. for the moment at least maybe a couple years have some more people move out my other younger brother um we'll see then might be a little more solitude there but uh I found that family is usually pretty constant for me yeah um, in terms of friends, I've I've always been very just I just by myself. I've I've never really had a lot of close friends, and if I had, it was maybe one one in life, real life friend for I don't know a couple years, and then we fell out of touch, and then hung out again for yeah. a couple months again over the years. But um, I just those personal relationships are too hard to maintain and too hard to right. to to start so i find that most of the time i just talk with uh, again my brothers or um when i'm sad and lonely i just find something to distract myself whether that's a new book or yeah. a new video game or a movie or a tv series on some of the streaming services that are out there exactly i tend to just find stuff to distract me because I, I i don't have that social aspect very really yeah, it's, I think that's a common thread among our, you know, participants here. Um, and, you know, I find myself, from my viewpoint, I see hundreds of individuals with autism who struggle to make friends. And it, like, I'm, like, aching to get these guys and gals together because they have so much in common. They have so many great qualities to offer. Um, but yeah, the social challenges are, are tough. It's difficult to maintain a friendship. Um, I was talking with um, another participant recently that a friend is somebody who knows all about you and likes you anyway. Um, and sometimes we're on one side of that equation, sometimes we're on the other, but it's really difficult. So when you look at like family, for instance, you have that unconditional mm-hmm. you know, relationship and love. So yep. um, it, and, and the struggle really is uh, to have um, social you know, interactions and friends, it's, and it is quite difficult. Um, so, okay, well, um, I think we're going to wrap it up right there. This has been really an awesome conversation with Clay Syme, and I wanted to appreciate Clay uh, for coming in today. Um, sure. Clay, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We might hear from a little bit more from you later in um, a future podcast. All righty. Um, and uh, this wraps up Episode 4 of the Autism News Network podcast, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.